Cuda! Cuda! Hey, Cuda! Get in here! I'm here! I'm here already! You don't have to yell at me, Kumo Tetsu! Where have you been? Training was supposed to begin at exactly 5 o'clock! We don't even have clocks in the animal world! That's besides the point. Now pay attention. This training has got some new rules. I already know all the rules, and this time I'm gonna kick your butt! <laughs> we'll see about that. Now here's the first rule. The following exercise may contain language that is not suitable for younger listeners, human or animal alike. Listener discretion is advised. Wait, that's your important rule? How's that going to teach me anything about fighting? Shut your mouth, boy. Have some respect for your master. Now here's the next rule. The following exercise may contain spoilers for the boy and the beast, as well as every other anime in existence. Be wary in case there's any anime being discussed that you haven't finished yet. And finally, in case you see any giant CGI whales, be sure to run like hell! Wait, hold on. What in the world is CGI anyway? I don't know, it's just what they put in the disclaimer. Now get ready, Cuda, because this is going to hurt way worse than anything that stupid bacon dish out. Oh, yeah, like the way he totally handed your ass to you last time and everybody was betting against you. Listen, you, know, you don't have you know any that was way to be right now. You're just the and I'm right. Right my now. mother, and if my you mother, would just so God help you, with those guys I drive a Dodge Stratton! Hello, I'm Spaceman Hardy. And I am Noah Clue. And welcome to another edition of Dub Talk Summer at the Movies, a special series of episodes where two members of the Dub Talk cast pair off and review the dub of an anime film that has either recently been released to theaters or has come out on home video. And tonight we are abandoning the human world altogether and venturing into the wild and untamed world of the Beast Realm. Yes, we are going to be donning tusks, hoofs, tails, and all manner of furriness in order to cover the latest theatrical release from acclaimed Japanese director Mamoru Hosoda. Ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between, this is The Boy and the Beast. Right you are, Noah Clue, and this is actually Hosoda's, not, well, not his first foray into films. It is his fourth non, uh, it's his fourth original film after such a critically acclaimed works, such as uh, A Girl Who Let Through Time, Summer Wars, and Wolf Children. Although he's also directed films for the popular Digimon and One Piece uh, franchises as well. Uh, uh, let's see, um, did we get the Digimon movie that he directed? No, we did not. Did we get the One Piece film he directed? No! Oh, we did not. We kind of sort of got the Digimon movie, uh, but, but, but it wasn't. We don't speak of that here. We, no. we have Summer Wars. We're, we're good with what we, we don't need. You're right. We don't need that Digimon movie. Yeah, we don't speak of that. Uh, as far as The Boy and the Beast, uh, a brief description is as follows. There is the human realm and the Bakemono realm, the Jutengai. In these two worlds, which must not intersect, there lives a lonely boy named Ren in Tokyo's Shibuya Ward and a lonely Bakemono. One day, the boy gets, gets lost in the Bakemono world, or the Beast world, becomes the disciple of the Beast Kumatetsu, and is renamed Kyuta. Um, the reason for this being that... Well, why don't you tell us, why are they, what is the reason for Kyuta wanting this apprentice? Well... The, oh, for Kyuta wanting to be apprentice? Well, oh, Kumatetsu, I'm sorry. That's okay. So yeah. basically, uh, Japan does not have a very good child protective service. So, 
I, I'm, I don't, uh, they must be spending their money on those giant robots instead. However, Kyuta right. has recently lost his mother in a car accident, and rather than living with his own family, his mother's side of the family, he decides that he is going to run away and live on his own. He is just full-on runaway at nine years old. Simultaneously picked up by this uh, bear-like looking creature named Kumotetsu, who is also uh, kind of an alone in his own world because he is in vying for this upcoming job, basically being the Lord of the Beasts, if I'm not mistaken. It's like uh, the Lord or the master of this entire realm. But in order yes. to do that, he's strongly advised to take on an apprentice so he himself can sort of learn how to be a better leader, a better warrior, a, a better beast altogether. Right. What what's happening is that the Grand Master or Lord of the Realm is wanting to re is wanting to retire and basically reincarnate, and in order to do so, he needs to choose a successor, um, and it's between Kumatetsu and another uh, beast named Eozen, and Eozen has the advantage of already having two apprentices as his two sons, uh, whereas Kumatetsu has none, and so in order to put up a better make a better case for himself and put up a better fight against Eozen. Uh, that's why Kumatetsu brings along this runaway boy, this Rin, who he names Kyuta, uh, in order to train him and, in a way, sort of learn a few things of his own along the way. Uh, mostly that um, getting the crap beat out of you by a nine-year-old is pretty humiliating, so you better shape up if you want to beat the pig guy who's trying to get your job. Yes. Indeed, indeed. So, with that in mind, uh, we're not really here to... Well, we're going to discuss the film at length, but our main focus here is, of course, discussing the dub. Woohoo! So, English dub yeah. time! That is a true, yes. It is called Dub Talk for a reason, ladies and gentlemen. And, as always, we start off... Speaking of our dubs, we start off with the ADR director and scriptwriter. Now, as this is a review, we're not going to make any predictions. I couldn't have made any predictions to begin with because, unfortunately, this movie never aired in theatrically in Memphis. <sighs> it, it, it's, you know, it's not unprecedented. Um, keep in mind that uh, Memphis is uh, kind of like out in the middle of nowhere. I, I think it's like in a desert surrounded by water, right? So getting Well, we do, have a we do have a pyramid. So, <laughs> that's right. To be fair, it is named after an Egyptian city, so that's the, not too far from the truth. Memphis, the uh, American Egypt. That's what we're going to call it from now on. Yes, we have a pyramid with a giant bass pro shop sign on the side. Which is, by the way, we uh, Hardy has taken me there before, and it is actually yeah. really cool. Yes, it is. Very, and this is 100% true. We have a giant bass pro shop in the shape of a pyramid downtown. It's, it's really awesome. But anyways, yeah. Um, so I have not actually I didn't actually get a chance to watch this movie until recently on home video. So I wasn't able to make predictions or or anything. But so we're just going to do a basic review. Mm -hmm. And um, for ADR and scriptwriter, we have the one and only uh, Mike McFarland directing this. Because of course, of course. Like, I have to imagine that if there's a big, high-name profile project that's coming down the pipeline, Mike, like, is just going to be given it. Whether he wants it or not, he will be given that project, and he will do amazing work on it. Yeah. Well, it also makes a lot of sense in this particular case because he's also directed two of the previous hosts of the films, Summer Wars and Wolf Children. So, 
It seems like a natural fit for him to step in and also direct this new film. Right. Uh, and other high-profile shows that he's tackled, he's covered everything Full Metal Alchemist-related, including Brotherhood and the two films. Uh, he's covered both Tokyo Ghoul and Rude, and both seasons of Attack on Titan, as well as the spinoff, uh, Attack on Titan Junior High. So he's got some pretty big-time projects under his belt. Um, as for our scriptwriter, we have... Bonnie Clinkenbeard, who's sort of an up-and-coming writer who has done a lot of recent work on high-profile shows such as Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, Roast Recently, Alice and Zoroku. She also did the very popular shows Yuri on Ice and Black Butler. And so what were our opinions of uh, how this film was directed and written? Because I have a few things I'd like to say. Well, let's let's banter back and forth on this. But before we begin, you did not get a chance to watch this movie in Japanese, correct? No, I did not. I I only got to watch it in the dub. Okay, that, that's okay. Um, the Japanese is very archetypal uh, just from the get-go, which would make sense because for big theatrical films, they're not going to venture very far outside of the kind of archetypes that Japanese characters usually have here. So if you like have a voice in your head for... Uh, you take a look at Komotetsu, and you think, like, what he would sound like in Japanese. That's exactly what he sounds like. Mm-hmm. So as far as yeah. the dub on this one, um, for directing it, it's directed really, really well. Um, this definitely got a theatrical-level direction uh, from Mike McFarland. He took all of the, uh, the big emotions of the movie, uh, everyone's flaws, everyone's uh, weaknesses, and he brought them to the, fo to the forefront. One reason that this movie, I think, is better than the Japanese is because it's not archetypal. You kind of feel uh, everyone's pettiness, everyone's flaws in, like, they want something, but they don't know how to get it, or they don't even know what they want at all. So mm -hmm. I'm really, really glad that Mike did that. He brought more humanity to all of the characters. Yeah, I could definitely see that um, if I had any criticisms about, criticisms about it. And I'm going to bring this up in our final thoughts near the end, but there seems to be a lot more talking in this film than in Hosoda's other films. That's mm. from what I've noticed. Yeah. And because of that amount of talking, a lot of times the actors are forced to do run-on sentences just to match lip flaps. And I think that in a lot of cases for certain characters sort of took away the realism for me. Um, it didn't seem as natural. It, it, I could definitely tell that the humanity was there and the emphasis was there and the passion was there, but it didn't really sound like people actually speaking at times because they were forced to match the lip flaps and because even in the Japanese, there's these long stretches of run-on sentences mm -hmm. that from, from, from characters who just doing these long... Um, exposition sequences, and uh, yeah. so if I had any, if I had any criticism on the directorial efforts, um, I think Mike did a good job nailing, like you said, nailing the humanity. But I don't really think this was Mike's fault. It's mainly the fault of the movie. Mm -hmm. It does take it out of it when you hear these characters go yammer on and on and on, just to match the lip flaps. There is so. no, yeah, there's no doubt that um, they they had no way to get around that when when. <laughs> there's no way you can like cut the camera away from the characters' mouth moving to pretend like, oh, they just stopped talking because we stopped focusing the camera on them. No, the camera's on the characters, you see those flaps going, and so we've got to add dubbed dialogue to those scenes. 
And Very it's, true. And now this wouldn't have been such a problem with all these run-on sentences if it was, um, I, I suppose I say, like very well written kind of uh, dialogue, like. A, I, I almost want to think of Cowboy Bebop, where people can say one thing, but they're really conveying a different emotion. This movie mm-hmm. does not have that problem. People mean pretty much exactly what they're saying. Which yeah. Maybe may a good enough transition over to uh, the script writing as well. Yeah, I think the script writing, as per Bonnie Clinkenbeard's uh, forte, is very accurate to the Japanese. And while usually that's a very good thing, I think in certain cases it actually kind of kind of hurts the script because it's so accurate and the story in general is a bit on the confusing side <laughs> to say the very least like you want yes. to talk about confused okay for all you uh people all you uh up and coming script writers out there if you've got uh, a movie a movie is about 90 minutes maybe two hours of the most you've got enough time to have maybe three big ideas juggling in your movie this movie decided it's going to take four or six big ideas that we could list off. There's the ideas of parenthood. There's the concept of raising yourself. There's the concept of humanity being evil naturally. There's the breakdown of should you be a feral child or should you be a part of society. Like, it jumps all over the place. And then for no apparent reason, we have uh, telekinesis. And no, creating giant whales out of nowhere. I'm like, what? Look, look, Hasoda, I understand you want to put big, giant spectacles, and you're, the movie before, oh wait, no, it was Summer Wars, had giant whales in it. That does not have to become a running theme if it does not fit in your movie, Hasoda. Mm, no, Hosoda likes him some whales, and he likes him some furries, so. Well, well I, I think I can speak for everyone. Say yeah. Everyone at Dub Talk loves some furries. None more yeah, so. Well. <laughs> Look, everyone on the Dub Talk crew loved Kimono Friends and will have no shame on that whatsoever. Or or Show by Rock. Especially Show by Rock. Yes, yeah. <laughs> no, it's just, I, I found the story rather confusing. And this isn't really Bonnie's fault because she had only so much to work with. <laughs> no, no. But, yeah, it's just a rather confusing film because apparently the darkness in humanity's heart can cause us to, can grant us telepathic powers. And I'm like... Really? I mean, because there are some evil people out there. I don't want to, them to see them levitating <laughs> giant katanas and, and, and creating giant whales out of nowhere. So, it does, so yeah. It, it doesn't help that uh, the reference that they make back to the, uh, the darkness of humanity is tied to the book Moby Dick. And if you've ever yeah. read that book, that's a, that's a confused book as well. It was, it was Herman Melville trying to be Nathaniel Hawthorne by just cramming as many ideas as he wanted into it. And it just is way too bloated for its own good. So it's I, a perfect I seem, fit for I this seem, movie. I seem to remember that you really hate that book. Mm, you have no idea. There are funny parts in that book. Like, I, I wrote a whole class essay about how homosexual Moby Dick is. Not just the title, <laughs> but, like, you, you know, lots of guys on a ship all by themselves. They're, like, squeezing the oil out of the dead whale. And, like, it's very uh, erotic. Yeah. But, Ishmael <laughs> getting spooned by the one dude. <laughs> That, there you go. That's another part. So, so yeah. yeah. So back to Bonnie direct, uh, script writing on this. Um, she did not decide to overload the script and like um, try to change the dialogue to make it more thoughtful. She stayed, like you said, very faithful to what people are thinking is what they say. People are screaming. Mm-hmm. It means they're screaming. People are contemplating their... Uh, uh, I'm all alone in this world. It means they think they're all alone in this world. I yeah. Keep, 
I can't say it was a detriment to the film, or to the uh, dub of it. I honestly think if you're going to adapt this for English, go ahead and stick to the faithful, everyone says what they feel mentality. If, it's, if yeah. there's a shortcoming to it, that's the fault of the Japanese. Yeah, I think, yeah, both directing-wise and script writing-wise, they were both competently and well done. Uh, it's just the fault of the source material, if there are any faults at all. Yes. and Yeah. Yeah, so, n n not, I, I feel like we have to apologize to say, like, <laughs> we, we love you guys. It's just that, you know, you're saddled with really crappy material. Yeah. Well, we'll get back to this in our final thoughts when we actually discuss the film proper. But let's yeah. move on to our first pair. We're going to start with the first pair of main characters. We have Eozen, who is one of the two candidates to take over for the Grandmaster. And we have the Grandmaster himself, who we explain later is trying to choose a successor... Uh, so that he can reincarnate and become a god of some sorts. Um, or or now, if, you need visual, Eozen, if you need visual shorthand, Eozen is the big boar, and the Grandmaster is the big bunny. Yes, the Grandmaster is what happened to King Cosma in like 80 years. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, basically. So Eozen is played by Sean Hannigan. Uh, you've probably heard him in One Piece as Gold Roger, he was, let's see, he was Lord Montague in uh, Romeo X Juliet. He's Yoshimura in Tokyo Ghoul, Maiza in Bakano, and let's see here. I wrote this down, but I forgot where. Um, where was it? Was yes, Tenjin from Noragami. He played one of the elder gods. Let's yeah. see here. He's got a. He seems to have a, a panache for playing. Uh, uh, deities, almost, or at least lords and deities, lords, deities, and kindly old men, basically, like father figure types. Uh, and for the grandmaster, he is played by Steve Powell. Uh, Steve has a, quite a list of uh, of roles, but he doesn't have any major main roles. Basically, uh, his biggest roles were as Yajima in Fairy Tale. Um, what is this? He was Yasuzo in Shiki. Uh, Lilac definitely requires us to mention Shiki whenever we possible. And his only major role was in the symbiotic planet version of the OVA 2 as Lane. And that's basically it for Steve Powell. Um, so what did we think of these two performances? Well, I think that um, Sean Hannigan is... Um Probably uh, someone who I need to pay attention to a lot closer because I did not expect this voice out of this character when I heard that he was going to be playing uh, Iozen. Because the one role I know him most for is as uh, Lord Montague from Romeo X Juliet, and he is a total bastard in that movie. Oh, really? Uh, that yeah, series. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, hearing him in this, he he sounds a little too old, I think, for Iozen. He's de yeah, he sounds more on the. Uh, more seasoned side, and Iozen's supposed to, from his appearance and uh, his attitude, he's supposed to be a bit of a, a younger, sterner character. But it definitely yeah, probably in his mid thirties, early forties, I would assume. Well, we're, I'm not quite Iozen. sure how old boars live for. I mean, the, the you know yeah. the ages, <laughs> the ages in this is a interesting topic, and we'll get to that when we talk about the characters who become kids mm -hmm. and then become adults. Yeah, yeah, but um, but I, I liked it. I, I liked his uh, his a good counterbalance to uh, to Komotetsu, who we'll talk about later, which is what mm -hmm. was required. If they cast someone who sounded exactly like the English version of Komotetsu, 
we as the listeners would have no reason to get invested in it, but he doesn't. He sounds exactly the opposite. Still manly, still fatherly, but in a, I almost want to say easternly way. Yeah. No, I I really liked Yozen as a character, to be perfectly honest, and I think Sean does play him very well. He's played very more mannerly, you know, respectable. Um, he's just he's the he's the straight man compo- as a pro. I can't speak. I, ha- I can't as the, the dumb. Uh, he is the straight man as opposed to Kumo Tetsu's wild card, basically. He yeah. is the yin. I guess he's the yin to the yang, you could say. Um, and I think he does that really well. He's very well composed. He plays a good fatherly character. And even though he's the rival, he's by no means a bad person or, or a villain at all. Uh, we, in fact, you can even say that a lot of people want a lot of people viewers would even root for Yozen over Kumatetsu. You're not wrong. In a lot and uh, yeah, and he, I think Sean really plays it well. Even in the beginning of the movie when they have their very first fight, who's voting for Kumatetsu? No one. Absolutely Nobody. no one. The entire the entire marketplace and we're talking is like, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of CGI furry characters are all rooting for this guy as as rooting for Yozen. And mm-hmm. so, so yeah, and it would make sense too, because like you said, he's got the the more the better mannerisms to it. Um, and compared to the Japanese, uh, it's it's also very archetypal. Um, so I appreciate that Sean brought a little more vulnerability to this guy. Like you can tell that he's uh, he's trying to be as paternal as possible. But when we get to some of the more um, emotional scenes and we see some of his own shortcomings, I buy it a little bit more from Sean than I did from the Japanese voice. Right. And as far as the Grand Master goes, he is a wily old man, and he's a really fun to listen to. I think Steve brings a, a sort of liveliness to him, an eccentricity that is very enjoyable. And um, we don't get to hear much from Steve Powell, but, uh, but I like what I heard in this particular role. He's sort of a, like a, a wily old man, uh, just having fun at... Basically, at the expense of everyone, he's just he know he he's reached his low his he's reached retirement and he just wants to go out with a bang. So he's just sort of having fun with everything, not giving very many cares in the world at this point. I have to wonder if um when you reach retirement age, if it's like a job requirement that you have to start acting like a crazy old man. Well, the, the the one the character that uh, he kind of reminded me of was um you've seen Kung Fu Panda, right? Yes, he was sort of the uh, the old turtle. The old turtle, yes, he was exactly like that. Where um he's clearly uh, above everybody else in terms of I got my act together. You youngins, I I just think it's adorable that you youngins are trying to figure out what you're doing still. Here are some tickets to go on a vacation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, so Steve, uh, what, actually he sounded almost identical, I think, to the Japanese voice as well. And I don't know if, uh, st- I, I haven't heard Steve in a whole lot, so I don't know if this is like his natural speaking voice, but or, or his natural acting voice. But yeah, we could definitely use a little bit more of this. It was by far the goofiest sounding voice in the, well, maybe the second goofiest voice in the whole cast. Yeah. Yeah, it was enjoyable, all things considered, for these two. I think they both, you know, they both stepped into their roles pretty well. Mm-hmm. Even though they're not the biggest characters in the film, uh, they definitely made them memorable in their own ways. 
Well, this whole movie is, is um, from what I understand from uh, the way that Hasoda described it, is supposed to be a, an analog to fatherhood because he yeah. had just become a father himself b before he started making this movie. So we've yeah. got all of the uh, older mentor figures are pretty much analogs for different ways to be a father. So we've got Ayozen is the cool collected dad who maybe trusts his children a little too much. And the Grandmaster is, you know, he's grandfather at the retirement home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we'll get to Kumotetsu in a little bit. Oh, will we ever. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, yeah two, two tusks up for, uh, for Sean and Steve. Yeah. Moving on to uh, Eosin's children, uh, his first two, his main two apprentices, his own kids, uh, we have Ichiro Hiko and Jiromaru. Now, here's the thing. Ichiro Hiko has a deep, dark secret. Whereas Jiromaru is uh, Eosin's biological child, he's got the tusks. He's got a little piglet, starts out. He's got the tusks <laughs> and the snout and everything. Strangely, Ichiro Hiko does not have those. Um, hmm, what could it mean? Yes. Hmm. Yeah, and like, not to spoil too much, but he's got his own deep, dark secrets, and they come out to the forefront near the end of the film, and giant whales are a thing, apparently. So it's, it's, This movie is like our own giant whale. You know, we're just chasing it, but we can never kill it. Yes. So Ichiro Hiko, we actually, both of these characters have two voice actors apiece, both for their child version and for their adult version. Uh, for children, as children, Ichiro Hiko is voiced by Morgan Berry and Jiromaro is voiced by Brittany Karbowski. When they grow up and get older, Ichiro Hiko is voiced by Austin Tyndall and Jiromaro is voiced by Josh Greeley. Now... Morgan Berry, you've heard in roles most recently in Eld Live as uh, Chuda. You've also heard her in Love Live Sunshine as Yohane. Um, she was, let's see, Hajime Suji in Three Leaves, Three Colors, Ayumu Uzoro in Tokyo ESP, and. Also, Sayo Samanji in Token Rambu Hanamaru. Uh, roles similar to this that Brittany Karbowski has played is obviously Black Star in uh, Soul Eater. She also played a little boy character in D. Gray Man Hollow as Timothy Hurst. Other roles you've heard her in, uh, let's see here. She's been all over the place, basically. Yeah, she's one of those uh, actors who shows up in both Funimation and the uh, ADV slash Sentai roles. Yeah. Recent role, we're probably not doing an episode of this because the basically almost everyone here hates it, but she's uh, recently Lele La Lele La Lalina in Gate. And um, let's see here. She's also Chizuru Yukimura in Hakuoki, among other things. Now, before we move on to the Adult voices. What were our opinions of the twins as children? Uh, they're per they're diametric opposites to each other, which is perfect because the characters are diametric opposites to each other. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can I can say for uh, I've had a bit of a troubled history with Brittany Karbowski uh, solely because she's amazing at what she does well, and what she does well is playing annoying bratty characters. <laughs> 
<laughs> which can, I don't know, can either make or break uh, your perception of the the actress herself. Uh, in this one, though, it works out pretty good because it's a it's a dork. Like Jiro Maru is a big fat dork, but it's a lovable kind of big fat dork once yeah. he stops picking on our main character. I went from absolutely hating Jiromaru to actually kind of liking him, like in the span of a few seconds. Like, and that's—I think that's what what it was—is because he went from Kyuta's biggest rival to his best friend in the span of one fight. And, and yeah, good on you, Brittany, for um, uh, uh, really um, portraying both of those sides. There, it's a, it's a very believable. Uh, boy who is just kind of learning how to make friends kind of uh, personality. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, we have Morgan Berry as Ichiro Hiko's younger voice. Uh, we actually, as kids, were sort of led to believe that Ichiro Hiko is the good one because he actually tries to defend Kyuta from other kids picking on him. But it's the most com I think he's the most complexly written character because, like you said, he's supposed to seem like the good one because of trying to defend Kyoto. But uh, listen to that dialogue. It's not I'm defending this character because um, I feel bad for him and I, I don't want harm to come to him. He's defending him because he doesn't think Kyoto's worth it. Right. He's like, yeah, yeah, you're not, you're not even worth beating up. Just piss off basically we have bigger fish to fry and you're not worth it and all the mm -hmm. rest of you people stop picking on this little fish he's very condescending um sort of uh what is the proper word um sort of a backhanded compliment almost it, it's very much that very backhanded sugar-coated insults and i will say this about morgan's performance um i've heard her as little boy characters before and i've mentioned this that it kind of bugs me a lot of times when she plays these prepubescent uh, roles where their voice cracks a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's here I didn't really—I really didn't mention it. I didn't really notice it here. I guess because Ichiro Hiko is naturally so much more soft-spoken and um, and quiet when he's a child. Yes. And so, yeah, I, I, I liked both of these performances here. Now, when they grow up, we have Austin Tyndall and Josh Greeley who take over the reins. Now, for Josh Greeley, we don't really hear a lot, but this doesn't really sound, from the little bit we do hear of Jiromaru, he doesn't really sound like typical Josh Greeley, hereby proving that he's the, you know, black magic, black wizard of Funimation. Um, <laughs> uh, you know what you kind of uh, makes me think of? Um, you finished Keijo, right? Yes, of course I finished Keijo. Remember the character who can grab any girl's ass powers, like, with just with a touch of her hand? Yes, the Gate of Booty Lawn. That's exactly what I think Josh does. He, like, gives everyone a throat massage or something, <laughs> and all, all of a sudden, he's got the power to pull everyone's voices in, out of his own throat. That put a very bad mental image in, the, <laughs> in my head. But yes, yes, Josh has... He plays Jiromaru rather gruff, and I, at first I didn't know it was him. But upon further listening, then I could tell, yeah, that's Josh Greeley. Uh, and so that's impressive, in my opinion, yeah, that he has such a range. Um, Ichiro Hiko, oh, Austin Tindall is Ichiro Hiko, though. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We've got, um, we've got a new level of uh, karma to add to the list here, because... If anyone you've been watching this show for very long, you know that anytime Austin Tyndall plays a crazy character, 
which is all the time, we add a new level of karma to his uh, to his long, long list here. And we finally get to add a new layer, and that would now be furry karma. Yeah, or pig karma, depending Our on... Pigs could be furry too, but yes, we'll go with yes. pig karma. Yeah, obviously we've heard him in roles such as Ken Kaneki from Tokyo Ghoul, as Karma Akabane from uh, Assassination Classroom, and as Crowley Useford from Seraph of the Inn, all roles in which he gets to let loose emotionally and just scream and yell and, and shout things and, and scare the dickens out of us. And I think <laughs> he pulls that off, uh, especially in the film's climax, um, just tremendously here. He, he, he turns... Ichiro Hiko into the main antagonist of the film who is just absolutely losing his mind and does it in that way that only Austin Tyndall can. It's sort of like... It, 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 I got flashbacks to Accelerator. I don't know if you've seen the Magical Index series, mm -mm. but very similar to Accelerator in that series is just, you know, unhinged and deranged... Um, well, it's, it's beautiful, too. Like, I'll give some credit to the directing on this, is that not only is his, uh, his actions deranged and kind of psychotic, but it comes right after what was supposed to be a victorious part of the film. Right, and yeah. And just, we, Hasoda uh, just thought, you know what, this movie's getting a little too happy. We need to, uh, we need to, uh, you know, kind of stab that happiness in the heart right now. We, we, we need to shish kebab all goodness. And, uh, it, we, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah we it, we had a literal backstabbing in the film, so yeah. And apparently, having darkness in your heart gives you telekinetic powers. So who knew? Yeah, so. yeah. It it was kind of built up throughout the movie, but honestly, the fact that this um that Austin's performance as Ichiro, uh, Ichiro, yeah, I can't pronounce English. Ichiro, Ichiro Hiko. Hiko. There's a few extra syllables in there. Play mm -hmm. gets to play him so crazy. It makes sense from the themes that they were playing with. They were just themes that they were playing with, like, way at the beginning of the movie that we'd forgotten about by this point. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, these these um, two very, actually four very distinct performances for two different characters, very distinct characters. And, uh, yeah, uh, um, all things considered, I think all four of them did either very well or, or well enough. Um, or, yeah. Yeah. Very well or well enough, basically. Yeah. The um, it's interesting that you mentioned that Morgan Berry uh, cracks that her voice cracks when she's playing prepubescent characters because mm -hmm. uh, there's the um, there's a little bit right after Ichiro Hiko goes crazy. We uh, flash back to uh, him being raised and questioning to his dad like, "What am I? What, where are my tusks? Why don't I look like you, Daddy?" And that mm -hmm. whole part, there's a crack to it, so like a vulnerability in her voice. Yeah, when, it, in that scene, I... it's so yeah, it's and I love that little bit because that I think that's the most memorable part that uh, Morgan gets to play of the character because it's not uh, it's not some the mysterious somber person we've seen before. It reminds me a lot of uh, I'm imagining how um, adopted children would imagine or would act when they get a little bit older and they may not share some of the characteristics of their adopted parents like whether their hair or their eyes are different or even skin color and that just very confused reaction about why am I looks why do I look so different from these people who are my family right yeah, yeah it's that, sort of that that separation of of um 
of reality versus expectations i would i would say yeah and it's something that real it could be really strong if written for this character like this could have made the backbone of a movie all on its own it's kind of a shame that it was mm -hmm. just instead of having like eight different subplots all at once yeah there's there's so. a lot of of what where am i who do i belong in that third act there but this could have been built up so much better so i still give right. props to morgan for you for playing with such loose material very well yeah. Speaking of characters who don't really belong, let's move on to Hayu Kashubo <laughs> and Tatara. You are, who are holding no punches back. Yes. It's not that these characters really don't do anything, but yeah, it's these characters really don't do anything. They just hang out, sort of hang out at Kumatetsa's house and just are there. Well, we uh, if you want functionality, we need exposition and we need... Uh, caring figures because Kumotetsu emits very little caring when it comes to raising Kyoto. Right. So Hyakushubo is a monk who just happens to be a pig. Um, he is the voice of reason and more of a paternal figure uh, in Kyoto's life. Um, we also have Tatoro, who is another of Kumotetsu's friends, who is sort of the... I guess if Hyakushubo was the conscience, then Tatara would be the counter-conscience, the, say, devil on your shoulder to Hyakushubo's angel on the shoulder. They both mm -hmm. serve as sort of a um, surrogate father figures towards Kyuta, um, either encouraging him or, in Tatara's case, telling him to give up, and in, in both encouraging him well. in their own ways. It's if I had to describe them as um, I wouldn't describe them so much as uh, angels on a shoulder. They're more like different ages of the same character. Um, yeah. uh, um, Tatara is how you are when you're late teens, early twenties, just becoming a father. You still feel like a kid yourself, and so you can be much more loose and uh, kind of devil may care with the, your upbringing. Kind of the the George Carlin mentality. Like George Carlin once famously said, like raising kids is no is no difficult task at all. Which mm -hmm. is that's Tataro versus Hyoka Shuba, who is more seasoned and realizes now kids are a handful and you have a responsibility to like you own that child. So unless you right. want to be thrown in jail, you have a responsibility. Yeah, basically they're cute as gay uncles. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. So Hyoka yeah, yeah. Cross, Let's just just go with it. Homosexual yes. cross species, cross religion. Okay, let's go with that. Love yeah. conquers all. <laughs> I mean, it worked so well in Rogue One, didn't it? <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Hyakushubo is played by Alex Organ. We've heard him as the original voice of Shoto Aizawa, a.k.a. Eraserhead, in My Hero Academia Season 1. He's also Shoto Makashima in Psycho Pass. Zex Lucifer in High School DxD. He's the new voice of Togusa in Ghost in the Shell Arise. And most famously, you probably have heard him as Deckham in uh, Death Parade. Uh, Tatara is voiced by none other. Tatara is a giant monkey. And he's voiced by basically a giant monkey, Ian Sinclair. <laughs> who you've obviously 
know heard as Space Dandy, Favaro Leone from Rage of Bahamut, Genesis, Dallas Genoward from ba- Bacano, Bardroy from Bla- Black Butler, I can't speak today, and Zap Renfro from Blood Blockade Battlefront. You deserve um, a cookie for all those tongue twisters. Yes. But anyways, uh, how did we feel about these performances? Uh, you, you remember that uh, um, Microsoft Word had that little uh, paper clip that would pop up at the bottom of the screen? It's like, can I help you with anything? Yeah. It's kind of like that uh, in terms <laughs> of, It's like they're there and they're helpful, but I, I, I keep wanting to hit the little X to make it go away. <laughs> Now, now, as far as active performances go, no, they, they're both perfectly great, and I, I don't think I could have put anyone better to play their roles. And mm. I get props to them for working with characters that are more functional than fun to have around. Right. Yeah, Alex definitely brings back the more calm, reserved, paternal uh, voice. And Ian Sinclair is, like I said, a giant monkey. So uh, they're both very fitting to the roles that they, they play. I can fully imagine that Ian got really into the character, so he like went out and bought a tail, attached that to him, uh, got the, the robe that he wears in the movie, and was kind of slouching about the Funimation Studios before going into recording. He probably even recorded it like lounging about on a Funimation couch, I'm assuming. Yeah. Well, he already has the facial hair, so he didn't really have to do anything in that regard. So. Right. Yeah, they they would have... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was... Like, they could have just... Yeah. Uh, motion captured him into the movie and it wouldn't change anything. <laughs> a, a very tall, lanky monkey. It's perfect. But yeah, no, I think they both are very fitting for these two roles. These two characters who, yeah, don't really make a whole lot of impact, but they're there regardless. And they also serve as the narrators to the film in general. So, Did one of them narrate the uh, that opening bits? I couldn't they tell. Both they both did. They both did. They took turns. Oh, okay. I Yeah. Like, see how memorable that was. It was like it was just exposition, yeah. but I couldn't tell which characters they were. Yeah, and th- I think that that word right there sums up their entire purpose as exposition. Mm-hmm. Because I think more than any other characters in the film, like we mentioned before, they have these long run-on sentences uh, that just build that they use for world building instead of showing. The movie relies on telling. It's a sh- and I think. Yeah, I think these two are the guiltiest of that. The only thing that I think could, like, from just a writing perspective, I don't think we got any reason why they hang out or tolerate Komotetsu. They seem amused by him at the very best. Like, I don't know, if maybe they were childhood friends or they're, yeah. they have no friends of their own. So, you know, they got to settle for whatever they can get. But it's, yeah, it's just very unbelievable of why they would waste their time in this movie. There's so many better things they could be doing in this movie. All right, so can we move on? I think so. Let's see here. All right. Moving on from our sources of exposition, we now go on to a human, which is rare in this movie. And not like just like they even put cat ears or anything on her. Like, no, she's an actual human. Yes. Uh, Despite spending the majority of his life in the... in the uh, the Bakemono world, uh, our protagonist Kuta does eventually make his way back to the human world, and he meets up with a uh, a young woman uh, named Kaede, who is a student in college, or is she in high school or is she in college? She's in college. 
She's in college, yeah. Yeah, because they're uh, both 18 at this point. And it's interesting to note that um, you said that um, Kyoto had spent most of his life in the spirit realm. No, he spends equally amount of time he spent nine years in the human world before escaping to the spirit to the spirit world to the beast world for an additional nine years so he's 18 true. by this point that she that he's met kayade right that that is true anyways um she helps him she teaches him basically how to read and write because he was never he never really received enough instruction and basically uh sort of serves as his mentor in the human world bringing him giving him sort of a uh, a conundrum as to where he belongs you know if he if he needs to live in the human world or the beast world where he where his true place is and uh, I don't know when this, I don't know how but I know something's starting right now watch okay Griffith someday I'll be part of your world okay Griffith enough of that because um, I'm just a girl who stop can't that. Say, okay. <laughs> yeah, playing Kaide is the one and only Bryn April. Um, some of roles that are similar to this one are Krista Lenz from Attack on Titan. She was Hikari from uh, Interview with Monster Girls. Hiori from um, Norgami, and Yurith from. Selector inspect or selector infected we cross, uh, which was actually a villainous role for her, a very rare type. Usually with Bryn, she plays a lot of really cutesy, high pitched voice characters. Um, and one thing I noticed about this role in particular is that it's much deeper, much more natural to her own. It's it's much mm -hmm. closer to her own natural voice. Yeah. And that's one thing I appreciate about this role is that we got to hear a side of of Bryn we don't usually get to hear. Especially because with the large amount of actors who work for Funimation, it would have been very easy to cast an actress who no normally does, um, you know, a big girl, for lack of a better term, big girl sounding voices. So, yeah, I agree. I'm glad that Bryn gets a chance to try some different things here. She's an amazingly talented actress, and any actress that gets to stretch their range to do things that you don't normally peg them for is always welcome. Yeah. She also played a very similar role in Hal, the movie, if you've ever seen it, as Karumi, um, where she did get to stretch her wings and play a, a more adult, mature role. Um, because, actually, it's... I've listened to Bryn April's real voice and... This is actually much closer to how she actually sounds in real life. Really? Because for those high-pitched, really young, uh, girly roles, she so, actually has to pitch her voice upwards in order to make it. Interesting. Cause I, I thought that she was more like a Monica Real, where her, her cyan voice was her normal-sounding voice. No, it's completely different. With Monica Real, as she's grown older, her voice has actually gone up <laughs> in timbre and pitch. And yeah. so when Monica does her big girl voice, she actually has to go down. And whereas it's opposite with Bryn, with Bryn's is naturally set a little bit lower and she has to go up. So this is a nice, a nice uh, change of pace. And, and it, I, pre I appreciate that she was able to bring that to the cast. And it's such a shame that she only shows up for half of the movie because her influence on Kyoto is was kind of necessary to be introduced a little bit earlier. She's like, just all of a sudden, just meets a woman, saves her from a couple of bad guys, and beats them up, and all of a sudden, I'm having an emotional crisis about where I belong in the world. 
Mm-hmm. Like, am I a man? Am I a Muppet? <laughs> you are both! You are a Muppet of a man! I have a very manly Muppet. A very manly Muppet. Yes. We, we are going to sing a whole lot as much as we can. We are not. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's refreshing hearing Bren as Kaede. Um, and yeah, you're right. I do think Kaede belonged more in the movie. And it probably... But then again, it would have just added yet another subplot that we'd have to trudge through. Despite the, the eight that, or six to eight that we already have. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's some contrivance about um, getting the uh, Kyoto to uh, go through character changes, like the death of his mom and running away. Like that, that we can kind of understand. We don't quite understand why he dislikes his own family so much. We, we just know that he has an affinity for his dad that is filled in by Komotetsu. We don't really get why he uh, it, like decides to stay in the human world to begin with. Like he has a bit of a falling out with Komotetsu, shows up in the human world kind of by accident almost, and just happens to run into Kaede. Like this whole movie would have been way different if he had run into like a, a street punk goth girl instead. Yeah, completely different, right? Or a Ganguro girl. <laughs> that, if he had that, run into Galko oh Chan. God. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking, I'm watching Sekirei right now, and there's the, um, the female character who finds a male Sekirei, and she's like, oh my gosh, it's a pretty boy! And I kind of wonder, how would the movie have been if uh, Kyoto had run into a, a, a girl like that? And he'd be like, oh my gosh, it's a bad boy! My fruit basket dreams are coming true! That sounds more like, less like a movie directed by Mamoru Hosoda, and more like a movie... <sighs> who would direct something like that? I don't know. Uh, who, oh, who is the guy who uh, directed uh, Burst Angel? Oh, uh, oh, what, what was it? Because he, he also he did Burst Angel. He's done um, uh, Ikitosen. He's done uh, what's his name? You know, I think he was the same guy who did MD Geist too, wasn't he? He did that. He yeah, he's done a lot of those kind of fetishy. Seriously, we're getting way off topic here. This has nothing to do with Kaya Day right, or right. Bryn April. But, but yeah. yeah, like you said, Bryn April, lo I really liked her performance here. I don't have anything uh, bad to say about it. Um, mm -hmm. There's a good, there's a, like the whole motherliness that was missing from the rest of the movie is engulfed in her entire character. And given the fact that she's right. only 18 in the role, it's a, it's a kind of a believable kind. It's the kind of girl who likes a project, I guess. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to be perfectly honest, when I first heard it, I, I at first I thought it was sort of, it sort of sounded almost like Tia Ballard at first, before I really heard. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess so. Yeah, like, uh, yeah it I, wasn't like it was. I wasn't settled on it, but I could kind of sort of hear it. But anyways, uh, moving on, let's get on to our last two characters, starting with the Beast, yes. the titular Beast. Uh, we have Kumutetsu. <sighs> Yeah, a furry's wet dream. A, just the laziest naming convention. It's like he's Bear Tetsu. Bear Tetsu, yes. No, he it's like, is. No, wait, 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 I, I got. Okay. <clears throat> Kumatetsu. Kumatetsu. <laughs> yes, Kumatetsu is by, the, by by the film's description itself has the body of a bear with the agility of a monkey. And he's basically a big, gruff, 
um, ornery, uh, cranky, uh, oaf of a beast. He doesn't like doing what he's told. He is basically a big, big child at heart. And he likes starting fights when he shouldn't. And he yells a lot. He kind of reminds me of myself in a lot of ways. I, was, I wasn't sure if you wanted to get into that, but yeah I, I'm, yeah, I'm looking at the DVD cover right now, and I'm like, okay, yeah, put the sword behind him, give him a red coat, uh, you don't have to cut the white t-shirt, that's already there, and oh my god, it's Hardy in animation form! <laughs> Probably less, uh, less body hair, though. <laughs> uh, mm. Yeah. You be yeah. the judge of that, dear ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. This is, I know this is a, not a visual podcast, but you be the judge of that. Right, right. Anyway, playing the gruff and tumble uh, Kumatetsu, we have none other than who else could it be? Well, it could probably be our Bruce Elliott or someone like that. But we have the one and only John Swayze. John Swayze, in similar roles to this, most recently he is Zoroku in Alice and Zoroku. He is Lord Death in uh, Soul Eater. Uh, he played, in Summer Wars, he played a similar uh, grumpy old dad, not a grumpy old dad, but a hairy old oh. dad, Mansuke Jinochi in Summer Wars. Uh, he's the new voice of Daisuke Aramaki in Ghost in the Shell Arise, and he's also Gozaburo Seto, a.k.a. Sun's dad in My Bride is a Mermaid. So playing grumpy old dad characters Which just reminded is, me of a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. It, playing grumpy old dad characters is sort of a... Uh, Sort of a thing for this guy. And uh, dare I ask what we thought of John Swayze's performance as Kubatetsu? The, the highest praise I can give to uh, Dub is when they do something better than the Japanese did. Kumotetsu's Japanese actor uh, kind of plays him a bit too straight. He, he has the gruffness to him, but he has no vulnerability. He, like, the flaws that are apparent in his character, that being his um, insecurity about his own strength, his lack of any mentorship when he grew up is kind of missing, and when he's uh, kind of a softer, introspective self, it, you know, it feels a little more reserved. John Swayze has this natural timbre to his voice that makes it so that he always sounds like a tough guy who's trying to mask his own insecurities, which is absolutely perfect for Kumutetsu. Mm-hmm. Because that's basically the type of character he is. Yeah. It is, and that's I, I, why I think this is better than the Japanese, because that archetype would be uh, kind of lost on an English uh, translation. So to have John give it this very human, very flawed persona, maybe uh, it makes you realize how... Uh, how, um, I guess, um, imperfect the character itself actually is, but that's what was written in the script. So I, I could not have asked it for asked for a better performance. Yeah, I, I think this was perfect casting. He's played characters very, excuse me, very similar to this in the past, and you can tell that he's definitely got a knack for it because he just takes the role of Kumatetsu and brings it to life. He's got the perfect rasp to his voice. It's sort of beastly, and yet, at the same time, it's almost got a bit of a relatableness to it. Like, there's definitely a humanity mm -hmm. behind, underneath, buried deep, deep, deep underneath all those layers. And um, he does make Kumatitsu very flawed, uh, dare I say human almost, even though he's not. Um, 
No, yeah, I, like I, I like I said, I couldn't I could not choose for a better casting. Or I think our Bruce Elliott might have done an okay job too, but I think John definitely mm. shows that he's got the chops for it. Yeah, he's he's, well, he's, I he's always got think a niche and he's carved has... it out. Yeah, John has. And Arbor Elliott's great. Uh, he always struck me as the kind who does cool older guys. But John always does deranged older guys. Which, again, it's perfect for yeah. this particular role. And it's it's the ni- it, it's kind of curious to me that Mamoru Hosoda decided to write the main father character to be like this. Like, I have to wonder if he was writing part of his own insecurities into this. The kind of dad who did not have much of a father of his own growing up had to learn everything on his own and now that he's got a kid to take care of mm-hmm. he doesn't quite know what to do about it yeah it's kind of hard raising a kid when you're basically still a kid yourself yeah it is it's, and he's he's yeah. got the toughness he's got the strength mm-hmm. he does not have the the know-how there's a there's a line in the movie where one of the two exposition guys i don't remember which one it was says try to remember kumotatsu try to remember what it was like when you were nine years old to try to like tap into how to uh relate to this kid yeah i I think he probably said i don't remember anything like that and probably yelled and went to sleep or something like that afterwards (laughs) only after mixing a dozen raw eggs into his rice yeah yeah ew just yeah Mm -hmm. salmonella poisoning what's that (laughs) but yeah we're both we both can agree that this is perfect, perfect casting on, uh, on John Swayze's part. So that he just nails it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm moving to think from of anything bad to say about it, but I, if I had anything I bad to say, it's yeah. Again, I have to go back to the run-on sentences, which aren't the actor's fault, um, because there yeah. are a lot of times to where the characters just yammer on and on and on to match the lip flaps, and it, it takes its toll. It doesn't really. The actors do what they can, and they give their all for the performances. But I mean, if I if that's that's just an un, that's just a necessary evil, as I guess it was what you would call it. Um, it's a it's odd, mostly coming from this character, like the exposition you mentioned. It sounds um, it just sounds kind of passe for the other characters. It sounds least believable for this guy because he's all action and not so much talking. So when he does start shouting about. How you just have to throw your heart into it. You just have to, uh, like, like, shouting directions about how to be tougher. Yeah, mm-hmm. it rambles a little bit too much. It feels like he would have just smacked you in, on the head instead of actually said anything at all. Right, and I'm surprised he didn't, to be perfectly honest. Well, he, yeah. he wants that job. You know, he wants to be the, the not not the Demon King, the uh, the Beast King. Like, well, that's a different yeah. anime. The, the Grandmaster. Thank you, the Grandmaster. Yeah. Moving on from the beast to the boy, we have our main character, Ren slash Kyuta. Uh, His real name is Ren, given to him by his parents. Uh, He earns the name Kyuta after he meets Kumatetsu, uh, after he refuses to tell him his real name, so Kumatetsu just names him himself. Um, Known mainly as Kyuta through the majority of the film, known as Ren in the human world, thereby once again creating the big divide as to where he actually belongs. Which I think we can all relate to as um, other uh, humans who have uh, you know, gone through our uh, puberty and gone through that adolescent stage of where do I belong in life. Only this time, it's, he's literally trapped between two worlds and doesn't know 
where to go. And so mm-hmm. playing are you, are you, nine. Are you telling me that you didn't have a? Are you telling me you didn't have a similar uh, mid or not midlife a uh, teens crisis over uh, which world you were going to live in? <laughs> um. Honestly, Noah, I've I'm already thirty years old, and I'm already suffering from a midlife crisis. But well, you you know you decided to abandon the human world for the goat world, so you know clearly you've already picked your side. We don't talk about the goat world. That's oh 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 right right. Yes, rule number one about goat club: we don't talk about goat club. <laughs> Anyways, uh, playing nine-year-old Kuta, we have Lucy Christian. Playing 18-year-old Kuta, we have Eric Vale. Now, Lucy Christian has played little boy characters in the past, such as Tetsunosuke in Peacemaker. She's also played a young Natsu in Fairy Tale. She's also played against typecasting uh, in roles such as Duna Newt from Appleseed, Medusa in Soul Eater, and Birdie as in Birdie the Mighty. Eric Vale, uh, who is usually cast as sort of unsavory characters and douchebags, um, has played <laughs> rather noble characters such as Trunks in Dragon Ball Z, Kashern in Kashern Sins, uh, Loki in Fairy Tale, uh, Yuki Soma in Fruits Basket, and also rather immature characters such as Kanade from First Love Monster, a.k.a. Noah's favorite show in the whole wide world. Uh <laughs> <laughs> We do, no, you don't talk about Goat Club? No, we do not talk about First Love Monster either. I still have a 20-page report on that that will be published to a documented scientific psychology website eventually. Yes, you also wrote music for it on the recorder, apparently, as well. <laughs> I did not bring my recorder for this particular recording, but <laughs> actually, I think I crushed that recorder. <laughs> you couldn't bear the memories. No, it, it had to go. <laughs> It was too much. Anyways, <laughs> what did we think? Because these are two very distinct performances for the same character in different parts of this character's life. And what did we? What was our uh, opinion of both performances? Of sh- well, it's kind of a. Sh- I, I thought it was a little bit of a shame that um, the boy had to grow up, because I could listen to Lucy Christian voice this character all day long. She is. One of the best, probably my personal favorite actresses working today, and the fact that she gets to take all of her rambunctious energy that normally gets reserved for uh, little girls and instead do it for a little boy is just ear candy to me. I could not have asked for a better performance out of her on this one. Yeah, I think uh, we've heard Lucy as little boys before. It's not what she usually does. But I think this is probably the best performance she's done in a role similar to this. Yeah, it's and that's another reason why I like her so much is because of the variety she does. Now, I remember you said before we started recording that you could tell it was Lucy Christian when you were listening to it. But like you said, it didn't sound quite like anything you'd heard her do before. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I think that's a good talent to have with trying to hide... Well, they not hide who you are, but, like, has enough uh, dexterity where you could do this. And, I'm, again, I'm trying to think of, like, something negative to say about this. Um, like, the run-on stances didn't bother me. Like, there's serious moments. There's screaming moments. There's, oh, God, 
what am I going to do? My parent is dead. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. There's even like a few funny moments where uh, Kyota is interacting with uh, Chika, this uh, this little mouse character who lives in his head for nine years, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who's voiced by Monica Rial, we should add. I, I, I couldn't even tell they changed it, honestly. I thought they just kept the Japanese audio in. Yeah. But, yeah, did you have any uh, shortcomings of, uh, of Lucy's portrayal? I really didn't, you know, and I've been critical of Lucy playing little boys in the past. Um, but, yeah, I have nothing bad to say in this in this particular case. I think she did a phenomenal job. She was certainly given a good chunk to work with here. Like I said, I would have liked it if this character stayed this age here because just the, the character arc of going from I'm angry at the world because my mother is dead and I don't want to live with the family. I want to you know, be a maverick, runaway child on my own. Going from that arc into maybe I can you know be part of a family in the beast world instead, Like that could have well written, could have been the whole movie on its own. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But sadly, we all have to grow up, and when he does grow up, he turns into Eric Vale, and he goes, <laughs> "Yeah, a fate I would not wish upon anyone." But <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no. Um, as far as Eric's performance goes, it's good. It doesn't quite have the same emotional impact that Lucy's portrayal does. Like, hmm. you know, I, I'm torn on it. I think it's good, but I mean, uh, something about it. I, I, I don't hate it by any any stretch of the imagination. Well, consider first that um, the older Kyoto does not have as um, uh, doesn't quite have as uh, is not as wild as the nine year old version. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you didn't quite get as many of those lines to work with. Um, uh, well, what did you get out of the scene where he sees his reflection and it's the dark version of himself and he, like, kind of grabs his chest questioning who or what he is? What did I get out of it? I Like a, a sense of desperation, really. Which is good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so no, it was it was good. I, I liked it. It was fine. Um, I don't know of it, who who it could do it, it better. It was gold star level good. Yeah. No. But what did you think? Well, I liked it, and um, I I'm gonna blame any shortcomings. Which maybe this is also a reason why you thought it was just kind of meh on the writing of it because he goes through I think three character arcs. Through the through his portion of the movie, like we jump cut montage from young Kyoto to older Kyoto, and he goes through. Um, I'm uh, I feel uh, underappreciated by Kumatetsu, and I need to break out. I don't know if I want to be a human or a beast, and I don't know if I want to reunite with my father or not. There's you know there's like three separate things going on that they kind of tie together, but because he has to act all of them out. Maybe the emotional impact was kind of lost just because we're doing emotional cartwheels trying to follow this one character. That is true. That is possible. Also, it could be because I'm so used to Eric Vale playing goofy guys and douchebags that it, <laughs> him playing like a genuinely, you know, decent human being type of character 
is kind of a shock to the senses if you if you want if you can understand that. Well, it, so. I don't, I don't, uh, it didn't quite sound like his normal voice. Like I could tell it was him, but I could I could suspend my my disbelief enough to realize that uh, mm. he wasn't playing the same type of characters that he usually does. That is true. That is true. In general, yeah, I think it was good. You know, I think we could say that about the entire dub. Wrapping things up is that it's it's very well done. It's very good. Um, any faults that it has, again, we have to put really on the source material. Yes. Now, here, we need to start wrapping things up here at the end. Speaking of the source material, because <laughs> I have words to say, and I know you certainly have words to say. Words, 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 words. This, in my opinion, is a good film. For But... For a Mamoru Hosoda film, <laughs> it, it is rather disappointing. Mainly because more than any of his other films, it's full of talking. And it relies too much on telling instead of showing in order to build the world and the people around it and explain what's going on. Which leads into these giant run-on sentences full of exposition that his other films had talking in them too, but not to this extent, as far as I can remember. Um, I've been, like, yeah, there's um, beautiful moments of, him talk, of characters talking, but there's visuals to back them up a bit. Like, I'm going to point to uh, The Girl Who Leapt Through Time as an example. The scene where the three main characters are talking about their future plans, they're not just sitting around, lounging about in a coffee shop talking about it. They're playing baseball with each other, so there's both dialogue and physical action to back up what they're talking about. Right, right. Yeah. No, I just... Uh, there were so many subplots going on all at once... And none of them were truly original. Like, I've seen everything done in this movie in, done in other films and done better. You're and not, Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, and, and when I... When you go from movies, especially... When you compare this to Hosoda's other world, because Summer Wars is probably not just one of my favorite anime films of all time. It's probably one of my favorite animated films of all time. And to go from Summer Wars to this, with Wolf Children in between, um, it, it's a definite downgrade. It I mean, like a it's a drop in quality, doesn't it? Yeah, it's still Hosoda, so it's still good. But I mean, whereas Summer Wars was an A plus, this seems like a like a B minus. Like, you did the work, but you could have put a little bit more effort into it. You know, and, and considering this movie was so hyped up, it was so built up, it was, you know, it, it's won all these awards, <laughs> and I'm like, problem. yeah, and I'm like, you know, you see the final product, and you're just like, well, that was neat. But I mean, this is Hosoda yeah, we're talking about. We Hosoda does not do neat. Okay. <laughs> He's got... Definitely a high uh, bar to clear. And um, now we should probably say that uh, people who tried to compare him to say he'll be the next Miyazaki, we should cut those off right from the get-go. He's exactly, yeah, a very different kind of director. Like he's right, never made right. he's ever made a Ghibli type movie before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
And his, um, if I had to point to a reason why this one would it is so flawed, is I think I could theorize on this because I like I don't have any sources to back it up. But knowing that he had just become a father during this time period, he may have put a little too much of himself into this. In that a dad who is confused and flawed and realizes they're flawed is not as compelling of a character if they do not. I suppose if they if if we ourselves do not want them to become a better father by the end of it. Like, the movie that this kind of reminds me most of in terms of the characterization of the father is Finding Nemo. And I do not like Finding Nemo very much. Mostly really? because I like... I, surprise, isn't it? But I have yeah. never really liked Finding Nemo. That mostly because me. Okay. As a father myself, I like movies that have fathers that are constantly... are striving to become better themselves. Fathers that are flawed and may realize they're flawed, but don't spend a lot of the movie trying to better themselves for the good of their child, bug me a bit. It, se it sometimes seems like it's either um, glorifying fathers who don't try to improve themselves or it's simply dads who are just content to be who they are. Marlon was kind of that same way in that he, d he wasn't trying to become a better father for his son. He, he, kind of, he became a better character for himself. Kumutetsu mm. is not really trying to become a better person for Kyoto. He's trying to become a stronger individual for the, the task of becoming the lord of all creation. That's not the True. term, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. The Grandmaster. Yeah. Yeah. So there's yeah. a th there is a good there are plenty of good scenes in this movie. There are there are wonderful little moments that as a father I look at and say, I relate to that so heavily, especially the parts where uh, Kyoto is mimicking uh, Komotetsu just to try to, uh, you know, like to, to be as good as him. Right, right. Yeah. Now, I like those parts. There's good parts in this movie. And it is a good movie, but it's not a great movie. And that's no. that's the issue that I, I left the movie. when it, Once it ended, I was like, well, that was a thing that happened. And whereas with, mm -hmm. with watching Girl Who Leapt Through Time, watching Summer Wars, watching Wolf Children, you know, those movies hit me on a personal and emotional level and resonated with me. Whereas this one just didn't. Like, And, and maybe you could relate a bit more because you are a father and, and I'm not. But I don't know. It's just it was it was neat. But I mean, Hosoda doesn't is not supposed to do neat. Hosoda is supposed to blow our minds. He's supposed <laughs> to reach down into our hearts and grab us. And and this just didn't. And you know, I, I know a lot of people really love this movie. It's highly rated. It's won a ton of awards. And I'm not saying they're wrong, but in my own personal opinion, you know, it's it is the weakest of the Hosod of Hosoda's films. And it's it's just. It's not a great movie. Not one of my personal favorites in the long run. If I had to recommend to everyone who were curious about seeing this movie, this is going to be a weird recommendation, but I would actually recommend watching this first in the Japanese. Because with the Japanese acting, uh, with it being so archetypal, it's a little easier to overlook some of the story flaws. Um, you can kind of... Um, extract 
the characters as they are from the voices, and you will be reminded of some similar characters based on those vocal traits because Japanese voice acting is so archetypal. With the English dub, which is absolutely is great, like it is top tier voice acting, it brings out the humanity of the characters that is in the script, that was in the Japanese script, and kind of helps you realize uh, how flawed the characters are and that the story itself doesn't quite make doesn't quite lead them into an arc that would improve them as satisfac satisfyingly as uh, we would like for a three act movie like this. Mhm. Mm so for our final reviews, I give it a B minus. What about you? I'm going to I'm going to be a little meaner and give it a C plus just because um it's not boring but um, b because I give it a C plus when a movie mm -hmm. has great potential in it and does not execute it well. I, yeah, I agree with that. Okay. Yeah. So that's so, yeah, so our We'll final. give it a passing grade. It's a passing grade, but, you know, it, it doesn't... It, it got a grade, but it doesn't get uh, taken out for ice cream on its report card. So, yeah. I, so I think that, we can hope that... Um, have you, I'm sorry, have you heard the, uh, the description for the next Hosoda film that he's working on? No, I have not. Do you want to hear it? Yes, please. It is. It's another family movie. It's uh. It's about a boy who gets a baby sister, and he is a little distraught by this, as uh, new siblings sometimes are. And throughout the movie, he finds a garden. He finds a magical garden that allows him to time travel to meet uh, both his parents in the past and his sister in the future. And by the end of the movie, he supposedly has like sort of a, a greater appreciation of a family structure. That definitely sounds like a Hosoda film, for sure. That it's sounds like a Hosoda, and it sounds, it, yeah. It sounds like he's taking all of his previous movies and shoving them into one. With time <laughs> I, travel I mean, I like, and I like magical elements. realism, especially with the time travel. I'd forgotten that that wasn't really present in any of his movies up till now. Well, I mean, Girl Who Leapt Through Time. No, I'm, I'm saying since The Girl Threw Up the Time. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, his last right. three films have been um, very, much more realistic. Right, <laughs> realistic right. as you can with with a cyborg, not cyborgs, like killer with viruses. Giant, whales, giant whales and furries. Children, hybrids, and furries. Yeah, and giant whales. What is there with this guy and giant CGI <laughs> whales? I don't get that. John Let and Yoko. Die, please. <laughs> anyways anyways that's our thoughts on the boy and the beast uh be sure to tune in next week when for another episode of summer at the movies when zenith and andrew will be covering one piece film gold featuring yeah <laughs> uh, i'll leave that joke out because it's stupid anyways uh <laughs> basically the one piece movie that was not directed by mamura hasoda yeah. If you would like to watch Boy and the Beast for yourself, unfortunately, it is not streaming anywhere that I know. Uh, do you know if it's for sale on iTunes or Amazon, Noah, or anywhere? Or? Uh, off the top of my head, I don't. I bought my copy. I bought a physical copy of it um, at my local Best Buy. And um, mm -hmm. you can buy this wherever videos are sold. Because it's a high-profile Hasoda film, um, it's mm -hmm. going to be stocked in basically anywhere you can buy anime DVDs. Like, this isn't niche enough. This will be basically yeah. anywhere that you want to find it so basically an fye or a best buy or something like that exactly it's right up there with um g kids releases and high profile funimation releases right anyways uh 
as for us, if you want to follow what we're doing, uh, I'm at Spaceman Hardy on Twitter. Uh, you can also find me on the Funimation forums, where I am currently a Funimation, or rather, a forum moderator. Uh, what about you? I am at Noah Clue on Twitter, and I have a YouTube channel, which is Journey Traveler, which I, I've written stuff for. Um, I just need to film it and actually upload videos towards it. And since I just had a child recently, uh, she is celebrating her two-week anniversary today. Hello. Congratulations. Th thank you. But speaking of mm -hmm. fatherhood, um, mm -hmm. maybe I'll get a chance to uh, actually um, put some work into that. But for the time being, uh, follow my Twitter feed to see updates of me raising a daughter because I am going to plaster that everywhere I can. Right. And... Uh, on behalf of Noah Clue, this is Spaceman Hardy, and thank you for joining us. Join us next week, and we will see you later. Otaku on, my friends. Aloha. Do not follow strange beasts into an alternative world, please. Yeah, but still keep it manly. <laughs> Bye.